Hello and welcome to another episode of Legendary Forces, a Star Wars podcast. Like we talked about last time, we are talking about Star Wars, A New Hope. Or yes, yes, originally it was called just Star Wars. I get it, people. But yes, we are going to talk about Star Wars, A New Hope, the original theatrical version, which is still possible to watch. Joe, you probably know better than I do, because I actually still have from when the limited edition DVDs came out in two disc sets where you could get the theatrical version along with the 2004 Lucas DVD version, which was the third real version of the movies. So that's what I watched it on. But actually, could you explain a little bit to people like how they can watch the theatrical versions if they want to? You posted a link to a website, and I, just, I followed a lot of intense rules. <laughs> uh, it was very complicated, but worth it. It's <laughs> The file I downloaded was like huge too it's mm. like 10 gig or something it's ridiculous but uh yeah it's uh the despecialized edition so it gets rid of all the nonsense and it looks like it did when it originally showed so uh and uh yeah you have to like download like 10 different like rar files and then like unrar it and then put them all together but it also has like a bunch of commentaries and a bunch oh. of subtitles and a whole bunch of I mean I think there's like different levels basically that you can mm. download it you can just get just the movie or you can get the movie plus all of the cool stuff and I'm a nerd so I got all the cool stuff too so like there's a whole bunch of different versions but I don't remember what the website is but I if you look up uh De- yeah, the- yeah if you google the despe that, that was the thing I mean I just did a google search cuz I didn't know cuz I've always had my discs and so I never worried about trying to find another way of watching it But yeah, what this person did is somehow they've either upscaled some of the original film material or they've descaled the special editions but taken out the CGI. Like, I don't know exactly how, but somehow this person merged together like a 720p. So it's not quite high def, but it's a lot better than what's on the disc that I have, which is basically VHS quality just digitized onto a DVD. Han shoots first. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, yeah, and it takes out all the changes that were made uh, since 19, the 1990s to the film. Because if, if people don't remember, what happened was when the special editions came out in the 90s, just before that happened, Lucas released a VHS version of all three movies that were basically like remastered. They were basically the best quality that you could put on VHS at that time. But that's it. Like, for the theatrical version of the movies, that's all that's been available. And even when they did the DVDs, all that they did was digitize that. They didn't improve the quality of that video. So watching on my 60-inch flat-screen TV, it does look kind of crappy. Like, the quality, it's it's very, you know, hazy, and it's blurry, and it's not really good. And so, yeah, the despecialized version actually sounds really good. I was just kind of afraid of... <laughs> doing all that i was like am i gonna get a virus from this i'll just let joe do it and see what happens it actually took me like maybe a week to download the whole thing because it Mm. is in like so many parts and you can only download so many at a time for free per a certain amount of hours so it was a it was a arduous task but i got free time (laughs) ashley might know of another way of watching it too that might also give you viruses yes if you are real brave there was a super sketchy website i can't even remember (laughs) what it is but i found it deep in google and it streamed the despecialized version for me that could be why my computer took literally 30 minutes tonight to start up for this (laughs) podcast so i might have to do some work on it later but i was able to watch the despecialized version of a new hope so 
maybe it was worth it. That's okay. When it comes to Empire and Jedi, I have the original versions on my hard drive, so I will post them in like a Google Drive for you guys. Thank you. That oh, sounds thanks. much oh, safer nice. than what I did. Yeah. <laughs> you have to despecialize your computer now. Yes, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> So was that your first time watching the theatrical version, Ashley? You know, what's crazy is I can't even remember. I think I watched an original VHS version with a friend growing up. Mm. But to me, the interesting thing about all these different versions is that it's kind of part of the weird, quirky charm of the Star Wars franchise. Like, what other franchise has 12 different versions of ways you can watch the movies? And... As I understand it, there are even some little tweaks that have been made to the versions on Disney+. Plus. So mm-hmm. it's all Star Wars. I enjoy it. But it was really interesting to go back and watch this since I have the DVDs that came out in the late 2000s. And I just rewatched A New Hope in January. So it was pretty fresh in my mind to compare what the theatrical experience was versus this newer DVD and a decent amount of changes that I could spot in it. Yeah, no, and that's why I was curious if you had even seen the the original version before, because it is a different experience, and I think there are things that are improved by the new material, and I think that there are things that detract. Like, each time Lucas makes a change, there are always some things that I like to the new versions, and some things that I don't like about the new versions, so it's never quite right to me. Like, I would love to be able to have, like, Star Wars Maker. A website where it takes like all the different versions and you put together your own version based on which bits that he added that you liked and you can leave out the things that you didn't like. Oh, that would be delightful. I know. I know. That's what I want. But yeah, I mean, the problem, of course, is Lucas feels like his latest version is the perfected version of the film. So he doesn't want you to see the older stuff that he sees as that was the poor attempt. That was what I could do at the time, but it wasn't the perfected version. And so. It just saddens me that he's letting that get in the way of like a real money-making opportunity. And from what I understand, like there were conditions that when he sold it to Disney, that he wouldn't let Disney even do those kinds of things. Because again, he, he's just so upset with fans and how fans have sort of glommed onto his earlier work that he just is restricting that. So. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing all this up is so that anyone listening to this, if you didn't know there were ways of experiencing the theatrical version, that that you know that you know, now that, oh, there, there is a way that you can find it. So yeah, look up the despecialized editions. But yeah, so one of the things we're going to do before we review a piece of media is somebody is going to give a summary of what we're going to talk about. And so since this is the first one, I decided that I'd take this one. And so... Desert farm boy Luke Skywalker dreams of leaving his dull life behind and living a life of adventure. Joining up with an old man that promises to make his dreams come true, Luke discovers that his parental figures have conveniently died. Now free to study alternative lifestyles in close quarters with a cocksure smuggler and his hairy first mate, Luke finds what he's looking for when he frees a princess and gets involved with the biggest bang the galaxy has ever seen. Are you describing Star Wars or like some sort of porn version of Star Wars? Because that is exactly what that sounded like from the moment I was you hoping said somebody would laugh. Would I was hoping. I was holding it back as much as I could. I wanted to hear where this was going. And it, it fulfilled where I thought it was going. That's the movie I saw, so. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, no, you have set the bar for all future summaries. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, so so yeah, we're talking about a new hope, right? I mean, this is the beginning. This is Star Wars. The reason I keep bringing up that it was originally called Star Wars is because there are people online now 
Then when I say A New Hope, they'll be like, You mean Star Wars? Because that's all the first one is called. It's called Star Wars. I'm like, yeah, okay. But since now it's the name of a franchise instead of one film, we should differentiate it. So, you know, thanks for showing that you're a geek that watched it because you were 10 years old in 1977 and saw it in the movie theater. I get it. Let's move on. So. I think you should always say Star Wars, parentheses, 1977, in parentheses. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> All right. So watching it now, I mean, so, so Ashley, I'm going to start with you, and I, and I don't mean to pick on you, but just because you did come in later, I think, than the rest of us into Star Wars. So I do think that you're probably more used to the later versions of this movie. So going back, watching it the right way it was originally seen, how do you feel about the presentation? Yeah, what really struck me was just how wonderful the movie still was. There are a few instances where I like some of the beefed up special effects of the special edition. I mean, like, I can't deny I'm a woman who loves big explosions. And I love seeing the extra big Death Star explode, little things like that. But I felt that there are definitely some things that went smoother in this movie, particularly the whole Han shot first thing has always amused me like I don't know why George Lucas decided it was a bad thing for the character I think it fits with the whole gunslinger vibe and it's just so awkwardly edited like it makes it worse than if you just let Han shoot first so it was kind of nice to see like this is as it originally intended and it makes the most sense I also didn't miss the extra scene with Jabba the Hutt because I in theory that could be a cool scene but the CGI Jabba has aged so much worse than that amazing puppet they used in Return of the Jedi. And it's just such a clash because Return of the Jedi Jabba still looks great all these years later, but you can really tell that CGI Jabba has not aged as well. Technologies has now eclipsed that and it kind of mm. sticks out to the movie. So I feel like in many ways it was a smoother experience. There are some things I like about the special edition with Empire and Return of the Jedi that I'm sure we'll get to later that I think feel and smoother with the movie but yeah I feel like this was a definitely more of a holistic experience and it was cool to watch it as a fan in 1977 would have seen and just how cool it still is to watch it here in 2021 like it's still a great movie yeah and Juliet what about you like when you watch Star Wars A New Hope and you see it the way it was originally presented how do you feel about it dude that's how I grew up with it like, I didn't see the special edition until I was in high school. I saw it in the theater when it came out. So A New Hope theatrical edition, that black box trilogy on VHS, that was, that's how I grew up with it. And I have never, I mean, it looks a little gritty. I mean, you look as Luke's speeder is driving across the desert and you can see it's very obviously blurred with Vaseline on the camera lens. You know it is, but it's okay. It's just gritty real realism to me. The puppets, you know, the few do-backs that we see, they look very slow-moving, but it's, again, it's okay. To me, I love that grittiness and, I don't know, the pretty, it's pretty to me. It doesn't look polished and I don't want it to look polished because that universe isn't polished. Yeah, I admit, I miss the, expl the larger explosions from the special edition. And the only thing that the Java at a scene had going for it was Boba Fett looking directly at the camera and in the theater I thought I was like he's looking at me it's cool um, that's the only thing I liked about that extra added scene I know that the scene was filmed with a human stand-in uh, because they that was Jabba the Hutt back then mm -hmm. but 
I don't think that that scene necessarily adds anything. I love Han shooting first because he is a scoundrel and he is a rogue. And of course he would have shot first. I mean, he's not necessarily a killer, but he's doing what he needs to do. And that's who Han is. Also, he doesn't like Greedo. Who, nobody likes Greedo. Uh, but yeah, no, I... It holds a special place in my heart. The... I know that the binary sunset scene even got cleaned up for the special edition and its colors are brighter and everything, but I'm still perfectly happy with the duller colors of the binary sunset when Luke's looking up at it and the force theme plays really for the first time that you can truly hear it. I love it. And I was always okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, all right, so even though I'm saying, like, looking back at it now, just take it from the point of view of somebody, this is the first time you're watching this, you know, kind of thing. There is no other version to, like, think about. I mean, if about. you're talking like that, it's like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen right. anything like it, <laughs> ever. Right. Because, Wow. Well, because the thing is, like you mentioned, if you pay attention, if you really zero in on underneath that speeder, you can see that it's blurred out, right? But who's looking at the underside of the stinking speeder? Until people point that stuff out, I never even bothered, like, looking about at it, thinking about it, like, anything like that. So, like, that scene to me was always seamless, right? Right. And so that's the thing. Like, when people talk about the flaws in the movie, the thing that I think, one of the things that's so magical about that movie is that it doesn't give you time to focus on any of that stuff. You're not worried about the things that don't work. You don't notice them because you're so carried on by the story and how visually interesting the video is, you know, like what they're throwing at you. It drops you right into the middle of that story. You don't even know what's going mm. on. The first thing we are in the middle of is a space battle. We don't know who's the good, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. We have no clue why there's a space battle, but you're immediately engaged from that moment on. And the other thing, I mean, you touched on it with the Binary Sunset, is how great it is musically. And while I think that, you know, I mean, I guess I'm cheating a little bit too, but it's kind of hard not to when Star Wars has been around so long in saying that I think that John Williams does get better. It's already starting out at a super high level. I mean, who doesn't know the theme from Cantina Band? Everybody yeah. knows the Cantina Band song. You just start humming that thing. Everybody else around you knows exactly where it's from. And they'll probably start singing along. I could spend the entire podcast talking about the score. No, it's, it's, it's so good. But since we're talking a lot here and doing a lot of chit chat here, Joe, what about you? Like the presentation of the, let's just talk about the presentation. How do you feel watching Star Wars, the theatrical A New Hope? <laughs> Sorry, right. yeah, give everybody every word, like <laughs> thing to say about it. <laughs> I think it super holds up. I've only seen the like special edition once, and that was fairly recently. And the whole time I was just like, every new. I feel like the original movie is so immersive that you don't like you don't notice the flaws because it just it all feels like of a like you don't notice it because like that everything looks the same. And I feel like the changes actually call attention to themselves more obviously and that actually takes me out of the movie a little bit so like i i hate the all of the, how busy like there's creatures walking in front of the camera just big cgi things and it's like stop that like it just it distracts from the movie whereas when you're watching the original movie you're just watching the movie and it's it's fine you don't need all this extra pizzazz though yes the death star explosion is nice but um yeah i it like i don't even i can't even think of like i just i rewatched it again today and i can't even think of like 
a shot that like pops out to me as even looking dated really is it just feels like it's part of the movie maybe that there's one shot where the speeder takes off from behind the the luke's thing and it that looks a little wobbly but that's like the only one i i think that like even like stands out as not fitting super well so i think it's just beautiful yeah, everybody's ragging on that explosion, but I was just happy that it like actually looked like an explosion in space. Because you look at other mm. things that had stuff blowing up in space at that time, and everything falls down. But that that explosion, <laughs> it blows out in all directions, like it really should in space. There's no there's no gravity making it go in one direction. So I was like, I don't know how they did that effect, but it works, and I think that it looked really good for that time, getting that explosion out. And Corey, what about you? So I think. To talk about just 1977 Star Wars. That doesn't feel like that in almost like any other piece in the entire franchise is kind of twofold. One is that it's an episode. It feels like an episode. It's a standalone episode. But not knowing if you were ever going to get a sequel to it. Not knowing if there's going to be anything after that. That's what it feels like. It starts and it ends. And there's story before it and after it. Which is why to me, something that I've always kind of said, which... Uh, your mileage may vary on this, is I feel like Star Wars A New Hope is a quintessential uh, like space western in a lot of ways. And there's something that mm. even in the re-releases with all the, uh, the special editions and things like that feels less of that space western feel to me than that original 77 release. And it's something that's a little difficult to describe, but there's just something about, and I think Juliet said the grittiness of it, that really comes through in that and in the type of storytelling that it is and the story that it's telling. So for me, and aside, but I love space Western. So that also is probably part of my, Oh my God, I love this so much. And I don't, so I don't use that term as like any sort of complaint about the film, but it does. It feels like an episode of something that's kind of plucked out of a, mm. uh, you know, a 50s serial, except it's in the late seventies. And here you go, have a piece of a story. Are you going to get more? Meh, I don't know. Maybe, yes. But you do have the story that you get. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, because, I mean, it speaks to what Lucas was trying to do with that movie, because, I mean, to put it in some historical context, if you watch movies from the 70s, movies from the 70s tend to be depressing and very gritty and realistic. That was sort of the movement going on with, with movies at the time. And Lucas has said in interviews since 1977 that one of the things that he was trying to bring back to the cinema was, like, the feeling of wonder, right? You know, like, he was trying to get back to serial, you know, the serials that he grew up with, the fantastic elements from those, and getting back to, like, those sort of fun adventures where the good guys win at the end. And that's what we get out of Star Wars. Yeah, I think it's hard to talk about Star Wars without acknowledging that for Star Wars to run, we first had to have Flash Gordon. And Lucas himself openly admits this. This is not like, you know, any sort of secret or anything. But that that's what it was, though, is you have these serial stories that he was like, I want to do it bigger. And then I want to bring in everything else I love into it. And obviously, he did so incredibly successfully. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, obviously, he clued into something that the public wanted too and, and it's funny because i mean if you look at like american graffiti which was his big hit just before that that was a gritty realistic you know like it's a downbeat ending you know movie i haven't seen it in a long time but i remember watching that when i was a kid and it's like man that's kind of a depressing movie <laughs> 
But then we go from that to Star Wars, and it's like, okay, apparently American Graffiti was just something that he did, but this is what his pa- where his passion was, was the Star Wars project. But yeah, let's get talking about the characters, and I want to make this a little more conversational. It's one of the reasons why we can all see each other. Those of you listening to this podcast don't know that, but we can all see each other on Zoom. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do video, is, is to try and get the conversational feel. I realize it might make editing a little more difficult, but let's try and do that. But just starting us off, Joe, what do you think about the characters in the movie? Watching it again, I was surprised at how it doesn't feel like it's a movie about Luke Skywalker for, like, about 20 minutes. He's not in it. He does not show up until 16 minutes into the film. I was just thinking that. And it honestly, it feels like... R2-D2 is the protagonist. <laughs> and I kind of enjoyed watching it from that perspective. But yeah, it's it's inter- it just like it's interesting how like you start off with these androids and you just stick with them for a while and they're it in they're interesting enough to carry you through the first 16 minutes of the movie before you actually get to the main character who's Luke. So, I really liked that. That's interesting and I haven't seen I don't think I've seen any movie that doesn't introduce its character for about 20 minutes. That's amazing. It's obviously something that happened in editing because I know Mm -hmm. that they did actually film more footage with Luke on Tatooine that I think was supposed to cut between what was happening on the spaceship. And I think Mm -hmm. they realized that was like dragging the movie down because like a lot of those scenes that when we get to the comics and the, and the novelization that are there with, with Luke in, in, you know, on Tatooine that they actually Mm -hmm. did record that material. It's just, even when they did the special editions, they were like, we're not putting that back in because like pacing wise, I think that probably killed things. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think you're right though. I mean, like C-3PO and R2-D2 are interesting enough to hold your attention for that period, you know, just to R2 feels like a hero. I don't, I don't know. He's just like, takes takes charge and c-3po is just his bumbling sidekick it's great yeah so ashley i know you have some feels because you already you know mentioned a little bit uh there so uh you know thoughts on characters in the movie yeah darth vader is one of my favorite star wars characters and it's interesting watching him in this movie just what an impression he makes like we don't have any of the deeper backstory that we eventually get in empire and return of the jedi but just what a presence he makes with that he's instantly iconic that character design he has this scary inhuman element you can see him using the force and I think walking into this, if I was a fan back in 1977, my mind would have been blown just by this interesting character who has like a sword that's literally made with a beam of light. And so I think he was a super cool, great villain to kick off the franchise with. What I find interesting in the movie, which I think might have been something that they decided just by the the actors themselves, because it's not in the novelization or the comics, is Vader, the only person Vader respects is Tarkin. Mm Mm-hmm. He defers to Tarkin in a way that we never see Vader defer to anyone. Like, even the Emperor. It's like, he defers to him, like, he will submit himself to him. But you can tell he's sort of, like, box at it, right? Yeah. And he, like, respects Tarkin. You know, like, mm-hmm. Vader, release him. As you wish. He's like, yeah, okay, man. You know? the idea like, that they have a history together. Yes. Right, exactly. Yes. And I like that, that they're already building a relationship. Just in the idea of just how these people are relating to each other, it gives the history, like the thing we talked, like Corinne was talking about with this has a past and it has a future and we're just sort of in the middle of it. Like even through the way the characters are interacting, that's that's implied. 
Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You can tell the richness of this universe. And earlier I'd mentioned a little bit about how much Princess Leia means to me. Even though she is technically a damsel in distress, like as soon as she's released from her cell, she's as much a part of that rescue as everybody else. And she really gets to take charge and be a character with action scenes. And despite the fact that she's young too, she's already in a position of political influence. She's on this espionage mission. She's standing up to Darth Vader, who is this terrifying, you know, mysterious villain in a mask. So it's just all these characters are so incredibly endearing and lifelike and you you instantly connect with them again in a way like no other movie I don't think I've ever seen before and that we may ever see again you mentioned like her standing up to Darth Vader that's one of the things that got to me but also the fact that when the stormtroopers find her they're like oh there's one set for stun and what does she do she kills one of them outright (laughs) not a single problem with it and then they stun her I mean she probably could have killed all three of them right then and there but the fact that she doesn't even flinch in the face yeah. of Darth Vader, whom everybody else is mm. very obviously terrified of. She's just like, only you would be so bold. I love it. I was thinking, like, the way that I said that the Luke doesn't really feel like the protagonist to begin with. Darth Vader also doesn't even really feel like the primary antagonist. Mm-hmm. He just feels like the big beefy henchman that fights the good guy before they get to... The actual villain. I mean, that's not exactly what happens in the movie, but that's the way it he feels almost. And like, he doesn't even have a lightsaber battle with Luke. He has it with Obi Wan. So mm-hmm. the movie does like a lot of weird, interesting things, and I f- like that. I feel like probably wouldn't happen with all the cultural knowledge that we have of Star Wars. I don't feel like it would have happened the way that it did in this movie. Uh, like, I like you have to end with like a lightsaber battle. This movie doesn't, mm-hmm. and I feel like. It's interesting that how it, this almost doesn't feel like a stereotypical Star Wars movie. The characters aren't quite the characters yet, but they also very much are. But because they're not, you can do they do different things with them than you would if you were just like, we got to make a Star Wars movie with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. So I think that's kind of cool. It's interesting that when Lucas did add an episode title to it, he added episode four rather than episode mm. one. So again, it's this sort of impression that this is the middle of a story, and it isn't the genesis of these characters, and it isn't the end of these characters. It is just the sort of middle in the stream, and that's why it kind of works from that standpoint, too, of it could be a standalone thing, or it could be the beginning of a new story, in which case, it does make sense that you don't have your final battle between your main hero and your main villain, that it should be. But only if you're looking at it for that. And, and like Lucas didn't know he was going to get more context. So again, it's, it's right. just really interesting how, how this all, this all happened. But I want to take a moment to, to, you know, cause we've already talked about Princess Leia. And, you know, I've mentioned this before about Leia. I think that it was really good as, you know, cause like I say, I was probably three at least by the, I mean, when I first started watch the first time I saw Star Wars, I might've been even younger, but I mean, I know it was by three. And I think it's really great that I glommed onto a movie like this at such a young age and having such a strong female, you know, care, you know, like her prominence in the movie and that she wasn't just the person to be rescued because strength for women in a lot of movies might be, okay, yeah, like the idea that she doesn't give away anything or whatever to the bad guy and she just quietly sits there and won't talk until she's rescued. That would be strength in a woman. But they took it another level because, like you said, she was proactive in trying to keep from getting caught. Then she was proactive. Like, like once they rescue her, 
it's her mission now. Like, it's like, you guys are idiots. I'm going to take care of this, you know? No, I agree. <laughs> like, great. I grew up with that. And I think I I have to now think that I get a lot of my sarcasm from Leia. From the moment that the <laughs> Luke comes, opens the door, she's like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? I mean, that woman just spits out the sass and you gotta love it. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that one was kind of mean, but I do like that she's calling, th- throwing shade on their rescue attempt, where it's just like, so you you got in here, you didn't have a plan for getting out, you know, and stuff like that, where it's just like, <laughs> I love that. And, and like, yeah, she basically is the reason why they got any further than that. And I think that that is so amazing how... I mean, I guess my opinions on the characters in this movie, I mean, getting into it, is, like, I think it's amazing how Lucas splits that main role up between all three characters. Because we already talked about how Luke doesn't feel like he's the main character. And I do find it kind of interesting that I know, even though I haven't read any of it yet, that a lot of the expanded media in the 80s took it as Luke as the main character. Because to me, it was so clear, even as a kid watching it, that there was no main character. It was Luke, Han, and Leia were the main characters because those roles... Even Ben a little bit. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, even Ben in this one a little bit, but he's more in the mentor type in the the thing. And it seems like they're the ones, like it's equally split between the three of them. And and so I just find that fascinating because even now, like you, you... you might have ensembles, but you don't usually have where it's just within the movie, there's multiple characters, but not the whole. So it's not like the Avengers where there's like six or seven of them and there's not one main character. It's like there are three main characters and there's still an expanded cast around that. But these are the three main characters. And I just find that kind of interesting, you know, like that whole thing and how he did that and having Leia be an equal part of that. It just, it's really good. And I think that it was a really positive thing to experience as a kid and to see that she's just as much a hero as these other, you know, as these two guys. In fact, in many ways, a better hero than the two guys. So. But Corey, what about you? What do, what do you think about the characters of this movie? Since we've talked about everybody else, I feel like I gotta talk about Han Solo. Because, I mean, what is there to say about Leia Mm. other than that she's absolutely amazing? And I think a lot of young women, including myself, latched onto her as a child and was like, yes, this self-rescuing princess and very much into it. But I also just have always loved Han Solo in that perfect foil to both Luke's naive, we have to do the right thing, and Leia's composure and her just ability to stay completely calm under pressure, you have Han Solo with his, mm. we're all fine down here, how are, how are you? It's, it's fine, guys, <laughs> I have this under control, when he so clearly doesn't, and that's just Almost every scene that Han Solo is in is that I'm super cocky. I'm super on top of things. Guys, I don't have this. I really don't have this, but please don't tell anybody I don't have this. No, <laughs> no nobody needs to know. It's fine. <laughs> and it, it makes him such a fun like part of this heroic trio that I, I just I have such a soft spot spot in my heart for him 
Because everyone, I think, at the time, like even in this, like the seventies when this film came out, were like, "Oh, what a like a a cocky womanizer, Han Solo." And I'm like, "Have you seen this movie? This man is like a, he's like he's living in like a trash can over here, and I love him. And th- what what are you talking about? Are we talking about the same character? He charges down a hallway to fight some stormtroopers, and then it's like." I have made a huge mistake yet again and completely turns around and runs back. And like that, you think that this is the cool cocky guy. I just love him. That's, I just love him. It's just, the, it's the, it's the human equivalent of when a cat like rears up to make itself look big. Yes! He screams and yells and charges <laughs> after them as if like, Oh, I'm big. I'm scary. Like run away from me until it's like, Oh, there's like, you know, <laughs> now they're turning around. It's like, Oh crap. There's one. And there's, you know, like, I mean, in the original verse, like six or seven of yeah. them. Like, oh crap. And even in this too, like the entire time Chewbacca is like, you are making poor life choices, but one of us has to be the adult here. <laughs> and I guess it's me, I guess. All right, let's go. And that, that's it. That's their relationship. And I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, like Chewie's like a few steps behind knowing that Han is doing a stupid thing, but he's like, I guess I gotta be here to bail him out and, and, uh, when this turns <laughs> gotta on Gotta stick him. with my bro. <laughs> D- just, this is what we're doing. This has been decided. And like, it's almost like, like, and, and there's so many like little moments where like Han will respond to something that Chewie says, where you just know that Chewie is like, no, seriously, dude, this is so bad. And he, Han's like, it's fine. We got this. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And it just happens so much. I just love it. It's just, I just love it. It's fine. Han Solo's whole thing is just, we're fine here. How are you? Yeah. That is my favorite bit in the movie. Because it's like, it, it, it's... You know, I do I do role playing since I was like in my late teen. You know, I do I do tabletop role playing, and it's like this is the D and D group. I mean, it's like not only are the roles spread out properly, like you know, you got your rogue and you've got your wizard and you got your fighter and you got all you know you got all these roles and, and people fit into those niches. But it's like even the way that like us around the table would try to do it's like oh you got to bluff this person. Oh crap! You know, like on on the fly, like what are you gonna get? You know, it's so different from like you know most action hero movies where like the guys always got like the line, right? You know, like oh yeah, I'm gonna be really smooth here and whatever. Like Hans like rolling ones on his bluff check. <laughs> it's just like we're all fine here now. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> and it's so good from that stand. I mean, it's just like again, it's that real like. Like, it's funny to use the word realism with Star Wars, because it's this outlandish, you know, space opera, but the characters react like you would think a person would react, given the, you know, reality that they live in, and I just love that he's not smooth, like, crap, what do I say to this? (laughs) Just make it up. (laughs) I mean, he does fly a ship that's basically held together with duct tape. Yeah. (laughs) It's all fine. We're all fine. Yeah, I love that shade too, where Leia's like, you came here in that? You're way braver than I thought. <laughs> oh man. But uh but yeah, Juliet, did we did we get to you to talk about I know you came in and piped in with some people. Okay, alright, so yeah, yeah. Characters. Luke in this one is definitely nowhere uh uh-uh, he's not my favorite at all. I don't care. He's mm-hmm. so whiny from the moment he wants to go to Taoshi Station to get some power converters with his friends. I can't stand him. Uh uh-uh. uh. Leia's amazing. Han 
I wanted to be Han Solo. I wanted to fly around the ship. Heck yeah. The universe in my own ship that's held together by duct tape. But I just got to touch on two different things. One, Grand Moff Tarkin, who is absolutely brilliant as who you feel like is more of a villain than Vader, to me. Mm -hmm. He has the composure. He has the calmness. He has that beautiful arrogance. And he is just... He blows up Alderaan. He's like, nah, psh, Dantooine. That's too far out. I don't care if that's a real thing. I'm still going to blow up an entire planet full of innocent people right in front of you. I mean, damn. But yeah, no, Tarkin is fantastic. But the other thing I want to touch on about characters is how many of them there are that we just mm. see and we just want to, you just want to know more about them. You walk into the cantina and you get these close-ups of so many different alien faces and you're just like who are these people who is that devil looking dude is that a werewolf i don't know what are they what <laughs> instruments are they playing it is the coolest thing to me that they just have so many distinct races with their mm. own languages that luke doesn't understand when pondo baba grabs him and I wish I didn't know what music that was, though. <laughs> that's a great point, though, that, that yeah, I mean, like, that's something, because I've watched it so many times that it do I don't even think about it, but you're right. It's not all in English. And they don't subtitle mm. it. Right, and some of it, yeah, some of it gets subtitled and some doesn't, and that's the thing. It, it creates this sort of, like, cosmopolitan atmosphere of as if you are on some, like, far-off place and there are people speaking different languages around you and everything that... Yeah, no, that's really cool. It's 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 a really nice. Yeah, there's the whole he doesn't like you, and you have never seen any of Chewie's lines get subtitled. Greedo's lines mm -hmm. do, Jabba's lines do, sometimes, sometimes. But I mean, it's just fascinating the fact that you have these languages and you just have to pick it up from context. I'm pretty sure that by the end of watching A New Hope, you know what R2 is saying and when he's swearing at you. Just from, you know, his the tone of his beeps, you get the impression that you know his language. I love that. That that to me, that is just the complexity of the characters in the universe is just from glances is so cool. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to go into it more, but I can't because we'll touch on the expanded universe in the books later. Right. <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, well, first of all, I do want to mention that you're right about Tarkin, and that's why I think that that's a decision that was made by the cast, that when you have Peter Cushing in there playing a character, that it's like, yeah, of course the Vader is going to have some respect for him, you know? It's like, it might not have been that way on the page in the script, but they just, like, sort of developed that as part of the working relationship of the of the thing, is that that's just how it's going to be. Oh, I can't wait till we talk about the novel. I've got a great note about him for that. Right. But Chewie, I think, is the one character that, like, you know, we, we talked about him very, very briefly, but I don't think that we've, we've touched on Chewie as much as he deserves, that he's this character, like you say, we never hear, like, a trans, like, he never speaks English, and he, he doesn't, we don't get translations of anything that he says, but he's a character as much as any of the other characters in this story. He's the first mate of Han's ship. He's... There, like, and all his gestures and his characterization lets you know exactly what Chewie's feeling in any given scene. And it's great that he adds that dynamic there of he's just the stand-up guy that's always there for Han and backing him up when things are down. And he's another great addition to that cast. It's strange that there's there's two, like, two very main characters in the, the cast that just don't have dialogue. Right. <laughs> 
Chewbacca and R2 D2. R2 doesn't so. even have facial expressions or eyes that we right. can interpret. At least with Chewie, we can see him shake his head, you know, when he's over there, you know, Han's like, get over here. There's a really nice scene, too, that I actually had a note about. It's when Luke's like, I've got a plan to rescue the princess. Why don't I put these handcuffs on you, Chewie? <laughs> Where Chewie just goes, absolutely not. You know, rah, you know, throws him away. And again, I mean, like, yeah, there's expanded material that explains all that, but you get what you need to know from that moment. You know, like, he is not going, you know, Han's his friend and Han explains it to him, so he's going to do it once it's explained to him. But you see that sort of visceral reaction to the cuffs, and you know that there's something there. You know that that's like, he's been triggered by something by that. And, you know, I really like that, because again, it's doing what good Doctor Who does, you know, I'm going to invoke Doctor Who in a Star Wars podcast, which is creating worlds from few lines, from actions in a few lines. You don't have that much time to establish your universe, so you got to do it with efficiency. And that's one of those things. Like, Chewbacca's backstory started from that moment. You kind of get the impression of, oh, okay, I know a little something about this guy from that, and I really like that scene. So, the plot. We've got this movie, and so what do you think of the plot of the movie, of the farm boy who wants to go on adventures, and he rescues the princess, he blows up the thing, and all of that? So let's start with you this time, Corey. I mean, so I think if if this had been a film all about Luke, in the way that so much of the marketing and so many of the, kind of the, the pieces of it, frame it as this story wouldn't have been as exciting or as interesting as it is. And and that isn't because I dislike Luke. I actually think he's a really interesting character, even at this stage. But I think it's because the story is this revolving cast that kind of goes around and around, and you visit all of them long enough to kind of get to know them and how they interact together. That's why the story works, because this story isn't anything new. Let's be honest. This is old samurai movies mixed with some Flash Gordon, mixed with some really cool light swords and fancy spaceships, and is very exciting and wonderful. But pulled together, all of these key pieces tied with the characters and with some of the interesting storytelling aspects that for for everything else that Lucas is, he kind of knows the core of what he wants. And I think that's where he excels is when you get to see the kind of, I don't want to say tropes, but those kind of elements of the story and where they come to life. And Star Wars, A New Hope or Star Wars 1977 in parentheses is a time when all of these elements come together to this perfect storm of just fantastic storytelling. and. I, I can't, I, I love it. Okay, guys, I just, I love it. That's where I'm at. All right. Uh, Juliet, the plot of Star Wars, parentheses, 1977, <laughs> in parentheses. I mean, it's exactly, it. it's a story that we know. It's a story that mm. has indeed been told. It's not a big surprise. There are fantastic elements that are twisted just a little bit to where, oh, this is different. Ah, that's that's not quite as I expected it. You know, Han is not the the suave and debonair person that we expect. He's kind of rough around. He, okay, no, he's really rough around the edges and has absolutely terrible luck sometimes. But 
it's told in a way still that is engaging. It brings the characters together in a familiar way that you know sort of what has to happen, but you're okay with that. Because again, we've got space wizards. We have space wizards. Cool. That's a bit different from samurai. I want to see pe- I want to see a dude just vanish as a lightsaber cuts through him. There's no body. There's no nothing. He's just gone. What just happened? That's not quite like the, you know, samurai or western movies I grew up with. So, I think the story works and maybe is even more endearing when you first watch it for, you know, if if that's what you've seen the first time. Because you're already, you're not having to, like, anticipate what might go wrong. You know what's going to go wrong. You know that they're going to be followed. You know that there's going to be a big battle. There has to be something at the end. But seeing it, how it plays out with cool X-Wings and TIE Fighters twisting around in space. And I think that makes it work. It's familiar, but it's, at the same time, it's just, has just enough twists in it to where you're okay with it. Ashley? Kind of what is interesting about this movie is that, you know, I've seen it so many times. I'm so familiar with it as part of the larger Star Wars lore. But when you kind of set that aside, what in some ways, what an odd little movie it is. Like, I feel like there are so many ways this could have easily gone off the rails and been a complete flop. And then we wouldn't be here doing a podcast about this franchise right now. But somehow... It all works in just the perfect way. It's really one of those capturing lightning in a bottle moments that everything just went played out just right. And I think, as others have commented before, there's enough familiar in the story, but also unique. Like it has some of those familiar tropes in Hero's Journey, but there's also some unexpected things throughout the film and it really captures your interest and the sum total of it comes to be really something special joe uh going last makes me like not be original uh (laughs) yeah it's it's like it's kind of like yes there is like a sort of stereotypical characters arcs and whatnot but it's kind of like a road trip movie almost like you go from set piece to set piece to set piece and it just keeps your interest so it's never it never stays the same thing for very long. So you've got like the space battle, then you've got like the desert scenes, and then you've got the big exploded planet and going through all that and shooting everybody, and then you've got the rescue and then the lightsaber battle, then the Death Star battle. Like it just it moves from one thing to another and it just keeps your interest and it's it's fun while still re- still retaining all of the the necessary character arcs and stuff through all that well even though it's changing and there's still the characters taking you through it and that they're growing and learning as well so it's it's very well done well put together yeah i mean again i mean everybody's pretty much said it i think this is a movie that works because of the synthesis of so many things because it isn't just about the plot because the plot is fairly simple if you just look at what happens in the movie There aren't any things that are like, oh man, that was such a big twist that I never expected kind of thing. It's all in the nuances of what they do with the characters. It's in the nuances of the presentation. It's in the beautiful, you know, score that they do. The beautiful sets. The idea of light. I mean, we we touched on it, but I mean, it's like, 
as a kid, I never cared about guns because once I started with lightsabers, it was like, I mean, that's all I ever wanted as any kind of like pretend weapon or whatever. It's like guns. That's dumb. That's like, you know, that's a less elegant weapon. You know, like, Obi-Wan said it himself, you know, like lightsabers. Those are the elegant weapons for sophisticated people. You know, it's like, that's what I want. So, um, it's those neat concepts. It's that neat stuff. And then throwing it all together with engaging characters. And I mean, you know, even though I talked in, in, in the first episode about like the chemistry between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford in Empire Strikes Back, it's here in A New Hope. You know, I should have said this with the movie we were talking about characters, but it's like, I was writing down, it's like, how did anyone think Luke and Leia were meant to get together? Because the chemistry is clearly between Han and Leia right from the beginning, you know, in this movie. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like just how interesting the dynamics are between everything and even the concept of the force. Yeah, if you were someone who was a student of Eastern religions and things at that time, you might have known that. But that wasn't a common thing in the 70s. It's like even in the 80s when I was watching Star Wars, that wasn't like a common thing that a lot of people in Western civilization knew about. So just the concept of the force was like an interesting like hey, this is, this is pretty neat. Like, this idea that everything's connected and that if you know how, you can, like, sort of, like, both sense the, every, the world around you and also influence it and, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. That's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I agree with everybody else on that, that this is a movie that works because of all the little things that sort of build up to the big thing. Of course, the biggest travesty of the plot is at the end, Wedge Antilles isn't even there with the people going up to the throne room. I mean, people always bring up Chewbacca doesn't get a medal, but Wedge isn't even in that procession. And he was completely robbed, and I am still angry about it. I am so excited to read the X-Wing books with you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Where Wedge finally gets his due. Yes. We're (laughs) simpatico on this. Uh, All right. So... So let's go to our final thoughts on just the theatrical 1977 Star Wars parentheses, whatever. Is it worth people, you know, and, and again, when you get to the end of it, you know, give it a rating out of 10 and then say, and no fractionals. If we're going to do 10, just do a rating. Just give it a whole number. And then say whether it's worth people's time now actually checking it out when they've got a different, you know, they got the most up-to-date Disney Plus version. So um, let's start with you on this one, Ashley. Yeah, I feel like I would be tempted to give 10s to all of this because it's Star Wars. So for A New Hope, I'm going to give it 8 just because, like, looking ahead, I know there's some things that I love even more. But just what a great movie. And I would say to Star Wars fans, if you've never seen the despecialized versions, it's worth going back and trying to find them. You know, don't try to give your computer a virus, but if you can find a version that you can watch relatively safely, I think it's really worth it. And it's cool to see it as a fan would have experienced it in 1977. Like, I think my mind would have just been blown by this movie if I had never seen anything like that before. Just what an incredible start to a franchise we all know and love. So if you're a longtime Star Wars fan, absolutely try to hunt down this despecialized version and just experience it as somebody would have seen it for the first time. And Joe? Uh, Yeah, I completely agree with that. I would also say 8 out of 10 for similar reasons. And I would also say get the despecialized edition because I feel like the special edition adds stuff that detracts from the movie more than it helps. 
And I feel like the the movie, the original version of the movie, even with its flaws, is more complete than the version with added clips and glamour. I would say, go ahead, get a virus. It's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it. Okay. (laughs) Juliet. Well, I guess I'm going to jump on the bandwagon because I was also thinking 8 out of 10. It is indeed worth watching the original theatrical or despecialized version, whichever one you can get your hands on, just to see what the original intent was and see the original movie that people fell in love with. And that still holds up under scrutiny, even today. Yeah, it, the see, you know, there's not really CGI a whole lot. It was models and puppets and so on like that. But there's nothing wrong with that, and it still looks amazing. If if you're if you've seen you know anything else, if you've only ever seen the special edition, go back and watch it. Trust us. I'm not sure it's worth getting a virus on your computer for it. But it might be worth spending like 50 bucks on eBay to get the two DVD edition that comes with the theatrical edition. Get a burner laptop. (laughs) This is a laptop I bought just so that it can get the viruses so that I can download the the despecialized edition. Oh my gosh, yeah. But hopefully everybody who's, who's listening to this has already seen Star Wars at some point. If you haven't, then I don't know what you're waiting for and you should go watch A New Hope right now. And trust me, your, your life will change. All right, and Corey? I think I'm going to go slightly higher for this one, because I think that watching the original version of A New Hope and the entire trilogy, really, I think it's a 9 out of 10. I like the re-releases. I, I, I like some of the stuff they did with it. I'm not really mad about it. But I think that if you are a casual Star Wars person and you've maybe seen the movies and that's kind of your basic knowledge from it, and you're like, I don't really understand why do people care? I think sometimes like going back and thinking about the the 77 release in how it was something that despite every element of it being done before was something completely new that hadn't been done before. There's just something about it that's so charming and nostalgic to me that I think if you want to get more into Star Wars, you really need to see it. And I'm also going to be slightly different. And funny enough, I'm going to go a little bit lower. I am going to give it a 7 out of 10. The reason for that is when Scandalous. Yeah, scandalous. I don't know. My scale is a little bit different. I don't know. But mainly for me, the main reason is when I was a little kid, I got to the point where I just fast forwarded after the space battle scene through all the R2-D2 C-3PO stuff until Luke shows up. So, you know, I feel like (laughs) I just skipped through that. This is the only Star Wars movie I've ever done that for. <laughs> I do find that it drags a little bit. I mean, that's just me. In a couple places, I feel like it drags a little bit. But it's still a great movie. I still think people should check it out. Because like I said, even though I'm not completely against the special editions, like I say, there are always something where I feel like, oh, that got improved. Oh, that did not get improved. Like, that got worse, you know? And so there are, there are things that I think might interest people who have never seen it that way before. If you've only come to it from the 90s onward and have only seen one of those newer iterations of it, it's worth checking that out to see that, oh, there's, there's an efficiency here. You know, there's a lot of verbal, like, like to Joe's point, I think there is a lot of, like, visual garbage that's just sort of thrown on the screen. That's just distracting rather than adding anything at all to what's going on there. 
and you get all that kind of stuff taken away, but you also get some stuff that I think is kind of important, like the Han shooting first thing. And while I'm not going to be one of those people who just rails and rails and gets angry on the internet about it, I do think it is a detraction from the character to have him not shoot first. And even though I liked having the Jabba scene put back in, the fact that because they didn't know it was going to be a slug-type character when they filmed it, the fact that he stands on Jabba's tail and Jabba doesn't do anything about it... I hate that. It kind of, like, ruined Jabba a little bit in my mind. It took away some of the, the fear of Jabba, that he would let such a slight go out of the way because the guy that they filmed it with was just a guy like Han just walks around him and then they were when they did the special editions they were like well crap we've got to have it be like Han steps on his tail when he goes around him so yeah it's just things like that that I feel like are kind of like slight negatives about the special edition so it's worth checking out that original version oh hi Nathan here just wanted to jump in here and let you know that when we recorded this one we thought we would get it all done in one episode but it became apparent to us after the fact that it would need to be two. So we don't have any sign-offs this time because we didn't think that this was the end of the episode, but we're cutting it here. You can come back for part two where we talk about the adaptations in both novel and comic book form of Star Wars A New Hope. Parentheses 1977, close parentheses. But yes, we'll be back with Joe, Ashley, Corey, Juliet, and myself then. So until then, may the Force be with you. You've been listening to Legendary Forces, a part of the 42Cast family of podcasts. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please email us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Let's Start the Show by Ben Gibbs. Check out more of his work at bgibbs.com. Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you.